0: Welcome back to another episode of the Shaq Sports Talk Podcast. Today, we have a jam-packed episode here for you guys today on this Thursday morning edition of the Shaq Sports Talk Podcast. We'll start off the show talking Yankees and Mets. We'll talk a little baseball. Uh, Yankees, they're winners of two straight versus the Mariners and have the potential to sweep the Mariners on Thursday. That would be a big game for them if they could sweep the Mariners and then head into the weekend series with a lot of confidence, playing a very good Texas Rangers team at home, at Yankee Stadium, that's a big series for them. If they could steal a game or two, that would be big for the Yankees. It would make up for last week's atrocious performance with you know losing to the Red Sox, getting absolutely embarrassed. Friday night was awful, and then the doubleheader Sunday on Father's Day was brutal to watch. Uh, so, you know, Yankees, you know, they're starting to build some momentum here with back-to-back wins and the potential sweep of the Mariners. And we we'll also talk about the Mets. The Mets, not really the best start in terms of how they're playing so far, and we're almost halfway through the season. Very disappointing. They're six games below 500, back to back losses to the Astros, and it's not just now, oh, we're not getting the division. Oh, you may not even get close to a wild card spot. They're 13 and a half games behind the Braves, I'm pretty sure. And now you're looking at like the Marlins and the Phillies. They're getting to like six and seven, which is a little concerning because they haven't just fallen out of the division. They're falling out of the wild card, and it's bad because now it's like six, seven, and, and that's almost like not attainable for this team. The way they're playing, it's it's really tough for them to make up that ground. So they've really got to start playing well. We'll talk about the Mets, and then to close the show, we'll have uh, an NBA draft segment where I'll rank my top ten prospects, and then I'll. Have a little mock draft for you guys as well to close the show as well. So, start off with some baseball and then we'll close the show with some NBA drafts. How does that sound? I think that sounds pretty good. So, I don't want to waste any more time. Without further ado, let's get right into it. Okay, so we're going to start off talking about the Yankees. So, let's get into it. So, the Yankees, they won 4 2. Over the Mariners, the Mariners fall to thirty-five and thirty-seven. The Yankees improve to forty-one and thirty-three on the year. Volpe goes yard, uh, McKinney goes yard, and, and uh, Jake Bowers also goes yard as well, and the Yankees win four to two. Let's talk about it. Burrito. Great game, five and two innings pitch. zero earned runs, three Ks, one walk. He was great. Uh, you know, in a game where you're facing Luis Castillo, and Castillo this year has been very, very good. Coming into the game, he had like a two set. He had like a two point seven ERA, uh, which was two point zero seven ERA, which was you know very good for him. He's a below a three ERA pitcher, and you know Yankees, they got to him. They got to him. Uh, I was actually really impressed with them watching them because you know. A lot of, against a lot of the guys, if you've watched them the last two weeks without Judge, they have not been able to get on base and they've not been able to get any contact on the baseball, and they really have not been able to hit home runs. And it's been and it's been a very big problem for the Yankees without Judge that they don't have offense to produce. Like they have no they don't have enough offense in producing runs. And it's a big problem. They can get on base, they work counts in the walks, which is which is good. Problem is they can't get on they can't score runs and you know, these last teams; they've scored runs, you know. The Yankees, you know, they won four two uh yester uh yesterday and you know, now their winners are two straight. You're starting to see them really start to I would say turn the stride a little bit, maybe turn the corner. Uh they won three one yesterday. So you're starting to see improvements. And I just want to talk about a few things with the Yankees. So my opinions on them to start the season is that like they're not bad, but they're nowhere near World Series material. Like they're not a World Series contender. Uh they're not a team that I think can make the World Series in October. I don't I don't believe in it. Um I'm gonna be completely honest with you. Uh this team's nine and a half games back from Tampa Bay. They're five ga- they're like five games back from the Orioles. So it's it's really interesting. So they're five games back from the Orioles. You know, Orioles will probably, I think the Orioles will finish ahead of the Yankees if they just continue to stay on the pace that they're going. So the judge thing is really interesting to me. Uh, you know, we heard that he can be back next week. We heard that he can be back by the July 4th weekend, or the July 4th week, uh, not July 4th weekend series, but the July 4th series with the Orioles at Yankee Stadium. I heard that. I've also heard that he can be back after the All Star break along with Rodon. So here's the thing. But the Yankees, they just need to stay afloat here. They need to stay afloat. Uh, getting embarrassed by the Red Sox and losing a game to the Mets where you should have won, where IKF stole home and they were up 3-1 and they lost a the game 4-3 in extras, that's a game you got to win. And, you know, that's uh, that's big because those are games that you got to have. So, you know, you get embarrassed for three games by Boston, which is like a mediocre baseball team, we're being honest, and then they bounce back and... They got uh, a series win over the Mariners and have a chance to sweep today versus the Mariners uh, tonight. So 4-2, 3-1 wins, you know, good wins. Garrett Cole had a very good outing in the first game. So my problem with the Yankees, and I'll I'll get this, and this has really been frustrating me, has nothing to do with the pitching. In the past seasons, our problems have not been pitching, in my opinion a lot of it has been the lineup. Uh, the lineup, and we'll, we'll just use today's lineup for an example. And this has been the most—this uh, has been the lineup they've been rolling out the most, pretty much. And I have a, I have some problems with it. So Bowers leads off, typically, and Bowers has been very good. Uh, he gets on base a lot, and, you know, today he homered. So, you know, Bowers had a great game, and really it's been two guys and three guys, really, producing offense for the Yankees. Bowers, McKinney, Bowers, McKinney, and Torres are the three guys that have really been producing offensively for the Yankees. Everyone else? They've been awful. Uh Calhoun recently has not been great. Obviously, we know that you know he can hit. You know, we've seen spurts of it. Uh in the first Red Sox series, he was hitting the ball. We saw in the Blue Jay series that he can really hit the ball early on in the season. And you know, with Calhoun he's an up and down hitter. So yeah, you know, I'm not. Ex- I'm not putting expectations on Calhoun, right? Brizzo's uh, in a slump. He also has not been that great. You know, ever since he had that like neck injury, uh, I believe it was a neck injury versus the Padres. Ever since he got hurt versus the Padres, he uh, on Memorial Day weekend, he hasn't been the same. He hasn't been hitting well, so it's been a little bit of a problem. Bader's also been hurt, so it's kind of tough to evaluate someone like Harrison Bader and how he's fit into the lineup. Uh, he did really well on Tuesday. Uh, and last night he wasn't that well, he didn't do that good, 0 oh, uh, didn't draw a walk, I'm pretty sure, and he didn't get a hit or anything, so, you know, not a bad night, and also, the problem with them is that, like, they expected Volpe to step in and be electric, and he just hasn't been that, he's batting under 200, but today, or yesterday, he hit a homer, so, you know, it makes up for it, right, uh, Volpe... I think in the last two weeks he's actually been a lot better, just in terms of at bats. A lot of his at bats to start the season, to me, were a lot of him chasing pitches, and you know, he really struggles with the inside fastball and and the high fastball. So the inside, you know, the inside fastball, which I'm talking about, is like you know, like where it's like up in his hands, and you know, since the way he has his stance, he can't really get the barrel to the back quick enough. And also, like you know, the high fastball he's really been struggling with because, the I mean, a lot of like his at bats where where he strikes out, the ending pitch for the strike three, typically is the high fastball, and it's because of it's because of his stance and he has it's like it's all mechanical stuff. And Austin Wells helped him out, and in the Mets series, he's really good, and the, uh, in the Red Sox series, he wasn't awful either, and tonight. He, uh, in this, in the, in the, uh, in the Mariners in two games, he's been solid. He hasn't been bad. So, a lot of him is just, like, his batting stance, I and mean, a lot of people have been calling for him to, uh, you know, move him down to, tri- uh, to A and all this other stuff and demote him and call Peraza. I don't agree with that. It's one of the things I've agreed with Boone and Cashman on is that, like, moving him down is a waste of time. It really is. Uh, his development should be at the big leagues. I truly believe that, uh. I think that is the worst way to try to uh develop someone because if you call him up sending them down is like killing their confidence in my opinion you know like it, it's 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 bad it's bad so in my opinion I think that you know setting him down is not the it's not the best thing because it's just going to kill his confidence so as a player so in you know like with baseball and and hitting it's all mental stuff right uh so with me with Volpe, you don't you don't send him down. I think that's a waste of time. And one of my frustrations with the team, I'm gonna be completely honest, is the lineup stuff. We t- we c- we touched on this a lot uh, just now, but really my problem has been like Cashman. Uh, you know a lot of the stuff that you know they were, uh, you know preaching was about you know getting this you know Rodon and everyone's like oh Rodon 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 he hasn't played a game for us yet. He hasn't started a game for us yet. And one of the biggest problems and why we fallen out in October to the Astros and the Red Sox and the Rays is because we don't have another bat out of Judge, and a lot of the problems with me is is goes goes with the management, you know Cashman, even Hal Steinbredder, and boom, like you can't have a team in baseball because baseball it's a team game, right? Like one through nine, you need guys to hit guys that are gonna hit, right, and, you know, with, like, with their team, like, it's just Judge, and that's kind of how the team feels, like, it's like Aaron Judge, just the only guy hitting stuff, you know, like, Stanton's been really bad ever since coming off the IL, uh, you know, like, the one thing they've had problems with is that, like, in the Astros series, they needed another bat, instead, they went to a frontline pitcher, they went and got Rodon, which isn't bad, I'm not complaining about the Rodon thing, all I'm saying is, it's really simple, uh, I don't like the fact that they did not get another bat. Instead, they rule out guys like Calhoun and IKF, and like that. Those are the guys that are supposed to solve our problems, and I just don't get that because I don't know how that solves your problems. So with me, with the Yankee stuff, it's a little frustrating because they're so close, and every year, like you know, some of the stuff that Hal's been saying on these radio stuff, it, it it's it's really like weird. Uh it it really it really frustrated me. So. He went on the Michael K show or whatever, which is yeah, you know, like the radio show on Yes Network and ESPN or whatever, you can listen to it. And basically he was just saying stuff like, uh you know, I don't know why the fans are mad at me. It's only the third week of June. And to me, that's where I went off on Twitter and people were like, How can you be so mad it's you know the third week of June? Like that that is so that is so out of touch and such a clueless comment. Like I like it's like not funny. Like that is so clueless of some, like of an owner of the New York Yankees to say, like, you know, there's an expectation in New York that, like, you're here to win, right? You know, Yankees, high expectations. Mets, high expectations. All these New York teams, they have high, high expectations. You're, it's not just a Yankees thing. It's a New York thing. The Knicks, the Knicks are the perfect example of this. Uh, you know, fans are still mad that they got knocked out in the second round, and they think they should have been in the finals. That's just how New York is, you know? Uh, high expectations, and they demand winning, right? So, you know, saying, like, I don't know why fans are so upset when in Yankee standards they're struggling uh, to say that it's only the third week of June. And a lot of stuff of, like, you know, it's, like, weird, because I just I, I don't get it because it's really, really frustrating. And he says stuff like, you know, if the Yankees enter their the postseason with 90% of their core roster healthy and they don't perform well, that he will start asking the tough questions about key members in the organization, okay? Assuming manager, GM, front office, right? Stuff like that, okay? These questions should have been asked a long time ago. I went to a game, it was game three, ALCS, last year in October. Uh, and they could not hit could not hit, and I think Christian Javier was on the mound for that game, they could not hit, they could not hit, and, you know, I was sitting there, you know, I my, my buddy got really good tickets, and, you know, John Stramski was next to me, and, like, it was ridiculous to watch, because outside of Judge, there's no one else hitting the ball, Garrett Cole started, he gave up a two-run shot, I'm pretty sure to start the game, and then he settled in, and it was, you know, it was fine. it wasn't like they scored a lot of runs or anything, until later on in the game, and they just couldn't produce any runs and couldn't get any hits. So my thing is about getting, you know, getting getting another bat. And the problem is I I don't think they can improve at the deadline because I don't know how you improve, to be completely honest with you. So let's transition to the Mets. Okay. The Mets, it's really frustrating to be a Mets fan. Um, So they are a team that I think they're doomed. I'm going to be honest with you. They're doomed. Uh so they're six games below five hundred and they're in trouble. They're in deep 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 trouble because you're not even like now you look at them, here here's what the standings look like for you guys. So for you guys at home, they are thirteen and a half games back from thirteen and a half games back from Atlanta, which is the division leader, forty seven wins. They are five five games back or so, roughly, from Philadelphia. And they're, like, seven games back from Miami, who's in second place. And they're six games back from Atlanta. So, it's a big problem. So, one of the problems is that Scherzer and Verlander, the whole duo, has not worked. Uh, they both haven't performed well. They haven't. And that's been a very uh, big problem for them, uh, you know the offense has not been an issue. Uh Francisco Alvarez has been really good. Uh Marte has been good recently. McNeil's been good. So like there's guys that uh you know they they've been producing at high levels. Yeah, Lindor's got 14 homers. Not not like his best season by any means. He's batting 2.17. So, you know, obviously he's got to get the batting average up. Uh you know, Pete Alonso's got 23 home runs. Alvarez has 12. So I don't even think the offense is a problem. Really, the big problem has been the pitching, the pitching staff. So here are the numbers for Verlander and Scherzer. We'll go through the entire rotation. So Verlander has 52 innings pitch, 50 hits, 26 earned runs, 8 homers, 13 walks, four, uh, 44 Ks. And, you know, his war is at a point, uh, 0.5, which is meh you know not not good at his standards and his ERA his ERA is a 4 uh 4.5 four, or 4.50 ERA not not the greatest right uh yeah you know, he's 2 and 4 44 keys you know he, like he ha- just hasn't he hasn't lived up to his contract we're being completely honest here as fa- like as fans here right like he just hasn't lived up to his contract and with Scherzer, which is really interesting in my opinion, with Max Scherzer, he's been a guy that's, you know, he's been up and down. He started out the season rough, but it's, like, I would say starting to pick it up a little bit. He's 6-2, and two, but a 4.04 ERA, 68 Ks, you know, like, he's been decent. 60 hits and in 64 innings, 64 and in two innings pitch, 60 hits, uh, 30 runs, 29 earned runs, 11 homers. Fifteen walks, sixty-eight Ks. Not great for his standards, right? He got shelled first the Yankees. Uh he didn't even go to the fourth inning. Uh the Atlanta game, he pitched a gem all the way to like the fifth inning and just got absolutely shelled by the Braves lineup. And then Houston, he pitched a great game. Four hits. Uh he went eight innings. He went eight, he went deep into the game. Eight innings pitched. Four hits, one earned run, one homer, eight Ks. That's a, that's a Max Scherzer game right there. And I actually am under the impression that he's been pitching a lot better recently. It's really the big problem with Furlander has been the big issue. Uh, Sanga, this was the big guy that they went out to go get. And Sanga has been mm, okay, right? He's an up and down pitcher. He's uh, started 13 games this year. 71 and in one innings pitch, 54 hits, uh, 30 runs, 28 earned runs, 9 homers, 41 walks, and 87 keys. So high strikeout rate, you know, that ghost fork ball or whatever that he throws is crazy, and a lot of guys struggle to hit it. Um. So my thing with him is that, like, it's the inconsistency with the pitching, right? The starting pitching hasn't been great. And also the big problem with them is that they also... You know, their bullpen sucks. Sucks. It's awful. Uh, They got broken, in my opinion. You're probably like, well, why are the Mets struggling? I really think this team is broken ever since that Atlanta Braves series, where they were 101 wins. It was the weekend series. Last week of the season, winner gets the division, and they just got, like, smacked by the Braves. And then that carried into the Padres series, and things just went downhill from there, in my opinion. Because w- once they got smacked by the Braves, they got smacked by the Padres. You know, even though it went to the third game because DeGrom pitched a gem, they got embarrassed in the first game. Scherzer got lit up, and then Bassett also got lit up in the uh, in, in the uh, in game three, and the Mets' bats were non-existent. Uh... With this team, I think they're the team that's going to throw, you know, monopoly money at Shohei Ohtani. That, that's what I think's going to happen. If, if you really want to know what I think's going to happen, if Ohtani doesn't have any success in LA this year, I think they're really just going to throw all the money at Ohtani. That, that's really what I think's going to happen, and I think that's the only way that they can solve their problems. And that is, like, I don't even know if that's even the right answer, because... Like, this team, you're probably like, oh, well, what can they do with the deadline? They can't do anything. They're they're trapped. Because, like, okay, we're going to run through their roster real quick. Like, who are you trading? You can't trade anybody. Like, what, are you going to trade Justin Verlander, the guy you just signed on a, on a massive contract? Like, who are you trading? That That's my problem. Like, you're not trading Nemo. You're not trading Lindor. You're not trading McNeil. You're not trading Marte. You're not trading Pete Alonzo. You're not trading Beatty or Alvarez or Tommy Pham. You just acquired him. What, are you going to trade Vogelbach? Okay, fine. But Vogelbach, recently, has been very good for them. Who are you going to trade? Eduardo Escobar? That's po- That's possible. I'll, I'll say that. That's that's honestly possible. Um, but you're not going to trade Beatty. You're not going to, you know, he's a young guy. Uh Marcana, you're not going to trade him. Like, who are you trading? And then with the bullpen stuff, like, who, who are you trading here? McGill? That's possible. Senga, you just signed him. Scherzer, you're not trading. Verlander, you can't trade him. Uh, Carrasco, maybe. Possible. Uh, David Peterson, David Robertson, Adam Adovino. I know I know, my fans aren't a big fan of Adovino, but, like, who are you trading? Because, like, their bullpen is awful. It's so bad. They have lost so many games this year just because their bullpen is, 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 is trash. Their bullpen is awful. And if... The If the starting pitchers for the Mets get blown up, they're done. They're done. Because, you yeah, know, that Mets offense is good. Like, they lost a game 10-8 on Wednesday. 10-8. 10-8 game. If you score eight runs, you win 80% of the games. Yeah? If you score eight runs in 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 an MLB game, you, you win most games. You win most games. Problem is, starting pitcher sucked. McGill sucked today. He was awful. And, uh, you know... My big issue with them is that like they just don't they don't they don't have any moves to make, right? They have nowhere to go. Lindor also has to be better. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. Uh people go after Volpe for his one ninety four batting average. Lindor has two seven has a two seventeen batting average. For a guy who's getting paid big bucks in this city. Uh, I'm just telling you, that's those are not great numbers. Those are not great numbers. So you know, with the Mets, I just think it's a lot of it. Like, it's just underperformance stuff. And also, the one big thing I'm going to hit on before we transition to the NBA draft is that, like, I don't know, the this team that's managed by Buck Showalter does not look like a team that's managed by Buck Showalter. Like, simple things as in, like, fielding and, like, you know, you know, fielding a ground ball, you know, turning double plays that, you know, get away from the first baseman and score runs, like, Someone stealing home in the Yankees, uh, IKF stealing home in the Yankees-Mets series, like that, like this is stuff that just doesn't happen with Buck Walter teams. It just doesn't happen, and I think a lot of it, I don't, I don't really know why why it's happening because like this is like rare stuff. Like he he he's an old school guy, and he's a he's he he's a he's a critic, and uh, you know, like stuff like this, I'm surprised it's happening to this team. Like if this was like an Aaron Boone thing, like I would not be surprised. Aaron Boone doesn't bench guys like Buck Showalter will sit you down if you if you like if you mess up in the field like he he's he he he's a tough one and you know I just I'm surprised of how bad they are with like the fundamentals like it, it, and I'm not trying to act like some you know baseball savant or anything but like they're simple it's like simple stuff of like fundamentals like fielding and stuff and they, they're they just awful at it and it's the basic things that are really just killing this team okay if you have underperforming guys you can work through that uh you're like the fundamental stuff at like the basic things like you can't like you can't do that i mean you're just not gonna be a good team and you're shot and it's showing why there are six games below 500 so we'll take a quick break we'll be right back and we'll talk nba draft so we'll be right back and we'll have a little nba draft talk so we'll be right back so, to close the show today, we are going to be talking NBA draft. I'm going to be ranking my top 10 prospects. So, let's get into it. So, at number 10, I have Kaysom Walls, Kentucky guard. Let's talk about it. So, I have Kaysom Walls, who's number 10 on my board. Uh, I have his top 10 player, making top 10 at number 10. He's a freshman. He went to Kentucky He's 6'2", 195. He averaged 12 points in college, 4 assists, 2 steals. He's a 35% 3-point shooter. He's a great defender, uh, catch-and-shoot threat. He's pretty good in catch-and-shoot game. He's got a uh, fantastic hustle. My comp for him is Drew Holiday. He's a dog defensively, a dog. He's very uh, fundamental with his offense, Doesn't do anything flashy, just always tries to make the right play. He's going to be a guy that I think will be in the league for a long time just for his hustle and grit and the way he plays defense. He'll be in the NBA for a long time just for the way he plays defense. I think he's a solid player. I think he does need to improve his three-point shooting. If he wants to go farther in the league, I have him at number 10. At number 9, which would be an interesting uh, topic here of discussion. At number 9... I have Keontae George. Okay, so people with Keontae George either have him way too high or way too low. And, and and it's it's weird. So people either have him like in the in the high teens, like 17, 18, so what most people are talking with him in terms of the draft, or people have him like top five, like no one really has him in the top five, but a lot of people have him very low on on the pecking order in terms of the NBA draft. I have him pretty high. I have him at 9. And the reason I have him at 9 is because in the NBA, in the current NBA, if you can develop an offensive game that's spectacular, you can drop 15 points a night, and you have a fantastic offensive game, you can play in the league for any team. Just ask Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole sucks on defense. Sucks. You saw him in the playoffs. He sucks on defense. Okay? He can go out there and get you 20 points a, a night. He's still going to be on the team. He's still going to be one of the six or seven best players. Like he, Keontae George, I think, can be more than that. I My comp for him is Jordan Poole and Bradley Beal. I'm going to tell you a little story. So, he, uh, Keontae George went to IMG, uh, which is a, yeah the big high school in Florida. And, yeah you know, it's, it's like a sports school. You know, they just go there focus on sports and yeah they basically it's like a s it's it's like a boarding school you know a lot of the top athletes go there okay. Keontae George went to IMG. I went to a high school tournament two years ago when he was a senior. Uh he played at IMG with Jarrus Walker and uh you know I was there to watch like a high school tournament high school basketball tournament in Tom's River uh Tom's River, New Jersey. And he was I don't know, he he was a senior in high school, and I was there to watch mainly the Gil Saint Bernards versus Camden game. Camden was coached by Rick Brunson. DJ had DJ Wagner on the team. Uh, Aaron Bradshaw. The team is disgusting. The team is insane. Loads of future NBA talent. Uh, Gil Saint Bernards had Nas Cunningham, who's. And I think I don't know where he is, but I'm pretty sure he's in the G League right now or some like OTE. Uh, Mackenzie Baco. The team was very very good. So it was like two top New Jersey teams. I went to the game, and you know, it it was like a session game. So like, you know, you're buying tickets for like the entire session. So the first game it was like, you know, it was uh, you know, the game before that before the uh, Camden game was IMG taking on some team from like Indiana. They lost, but he had. The 40, like, 40 points. It was it was an overtime game, and he was scoring, like, ridiculous shots. Ridiculous step-back threes, everything. Um, he is a ridiculous offensive game, and, you know, he committed to Baylor, which is a smaller Division One school. It's now known as a powerhouse because they won a national championship, but, you know, if you talk about Baylor five years ago, no one's saying they are some, you know, college basketball powerhouse. When I mean, we're talking about Powerhouses, we're talking Kentucky, UCLA, Um, just go through, like, the Big Ten teams, Uh, Michigan, SEC, Alabama, Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, uh, Texas even. Uh, I mean, Texas Tech even sometimes is is a powerhouse school. Um, Gonzaga, I mean, talk about all these schools, and he went to Baylor. They won the national championship recently. He got coached by uh, Mark Drew, I think is his name, Baylor. Great coach. He had 15 points a game, um, 34% three-point shooting. The kid's going to be really good. Uh, I'm just telling you this now. And I would be very surprised if he's a Boston league. It, the way he can score reminds me a lot of Bradley Beal and Jordan Poole. Great ball handler, pull-up jumper, is nasty. Interior scoring. One of his biggest problems is, is that he uh, forces a lot of shots. Um, he struggled in a lot of the top 25 competition. He... Uh, KOC had a style and I think he was like 14 of 40 from the field, wow, averaging like 14 points in games versus like Kansas, Arkansas, Texas and TCU. It was it was something like that. Like the, the like the top 25 competition. I saw a stat like that. And uh, you know, one of their big one of the biggest issues that people have with him is that, you know, he uh he overdrives a lot where things get crowded, he gets the ball ripped away from him. And uh, people have, like, a big issue with that and stuff. And I get it. Um, it's obviously not a great thing to have. But, you know, his defense also isn't great. I like him a lot because he can just go out there and get 17 points a night. And I think a team like the Lakers, if, they, if he falls him, you have to take him. Um, you just have to because he's just such a like, a, a, like, phenomenal scorer. And he could score from anywhere. And he's just a really just... Great offensive player. And I think you just got to take the swing on him. I think he'll fall late in the lottery. Maybe even outside the lottery, potentially. I am, a, I am at a 9. At 8, Anthony Black out of Arkansas. The freshman guard from Arkansas. Let's talk about him. Uh, two comps. Both guys play in the Thunder. SGA. I see a little SGA in him where he's a phenomenal playmaker. Great defender. Struggles with the jumper. But really... if if he can really get developed, he can turn into a very solid player in the league. I think that resembles SGA a little bit. But also, I see Josh Giddy in him, too, where he's got the excellent floor general feel for the game, uh, great passer, a lot like Josh Giddy. So those are, like, my two comparisons for him. Uh, Anthony Black, selfless playmaker. He's a really solid athlete. He's got a nice vertical... Uh, He's a versatile on on ball defender. Uh, one of his problems is that he doesn't create a lot of space off the bounce. Where he, you know you, you you gotta create separation in the NBA, and he can't shoot off the dribble. So it, it's tough for him creating his own shot. But look, it's early on. Obviously, a lot of guys, these guys need a lot of work on some of their stuff. And I think some of this is very fixable. Like being able to shoot off the dribble, I think that's really simple stuff. To be honest with you, I think he can easily fix that. I have him at number eight. At number seven, I have Jarris Walker. Let me just double check my list. Yes, I have Jarris Walker at seven. So Jarris Walker is the Houston uh, forward. He's six seven. He played power forward this year, which is we'll get into my problems with him in a little bit. Um, he played with Keontae George at IMG. I think that he's honestly, to be honest with you. I, I really like Jarrus Walker a lot. I think he's a wrecking ball on defense. He's uh Yeah, you know, he's very versatile. He played football, so obviously he's got a little bit of a versatile set to uh skill set to him. He's he he's like a bowling ball out there. And yeah, you know, he's he's a good defender, great rebounder, he's good in the pick and roll. He's not a good shooter, which is a big problem for him. Uh, cause he's still an unproven three puncher, he can't really shoot. Uh, and he's also not a good foul shooter, and just not a good shooter overall. And that's one of my biggest problems with him. And the last thing with him is that, like, his ball handle isn't the greatest either. Like, he he's a hard time handling the basketball. And I think that you know if you're playing the four or you know since he's six seven, he'll probably play the three. If you can't handle the ball as a three or four in this league, you're gonna have a tough time like really producing at the NBA level. So that's one of my two concerns to him is just simply his ball handling and his shot. So at number six, I have Asar Thompson, brother of a men from Overtime Elite. Uh very good uh very good athlete. He's a great two way player with lockdown defense and attacks downhill offensively. He averaged sixteen points in the OTE, six assists, uh seven rebounds, and then fifty five percent true shooting percentage. Uh, he's a really crafty finisher. Who can absorb contact and finish through contact as well? He's a great passer. He's shown he's they both both the Thompson brothers have improved the jumper from the start of their OTE season to the end of the OTE season. They both have shown improvements within their jumper, just like mechanical stuff with like their jumper, just like their form and stuff. Uh one of my problems with him, obviously is that like you know is the shooting. Yeah, thirty three percent from three. Uh, yeah. You know, he's still in the OT shot like mid sixties from the foul line as a guard. It's not really good, and he doesn't have a reliable jump shot. Uh, it's one of the biggest problems with him, and another problem with and Amin has a little bit of a better jumper than Asar, but also like they both struggle with their jumper, and it's one of the things that they're gonna have to develop if they want to be a high impact player in this league. So I have Asar at, f- at uh at five. Asar at six. Sorry. At five, I have Cam Whitmore. Cam Whitmore, he's a forward out of Villanova. Cam Whitmore, I like him a lot. He's 6'6, 235 pounds, 12 and points at Villanova. Villanova had a down year this year. Uh all these Villanova guys, if if you see a Villanova guy in the draft, just assume that they are a relentless competitor and they are gonna have a high floor in the NBA. Uh it's just that simple. Cam Wilmore will be in the league for a long time. Uh, people don't like him because of, like, his injury health. And, like, like people are, like, scared to take him. And also stuff am reading all stuff online on Twitter about how, like, people are nervous about taking him because of his injury history. And, look, all these Villanova guys, they are absolute dogs. Like, Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo, all these guys are Dogs. Dogs. And, uh, you know, people think that, you know, like, people just, some people just don't get that, like, uh, you know, I don't get it, so, uh, one of the things with him is that he's a, he's a, he's, he's a, he's a unit, uh, he exposed off the dribble, and it's, and he drives downhill, he's like a truck coming through the lane, uh, he's, very good cutter. I watched the uh I was at the Big East tournament when he played Creighton and it wasn't his best game, but there was just little things he was doing, like being a really good on ball defender, uh cutting back door, getting easy points. He had a nice little dunk on alley Oop that I saw in transition. Uh one of his biggest problems is though is that like he has no post moves, and I get it he's six six, but also like he's an unproven shooter. So like, you know, you can't just like run straight in the NBA and dunk the ball. That's the problem. Uh he he's an unproven shooter. He can't shoot. In college he couldn't shoot, and you know, he he just can't shoot overall. He uh he has a lot of moments where he's just like reckless with the basketball, like driving the lane with his head down and thinking he's gonna get a, a call and he gets called for an offensive foul. And yeah, like, he'll get beat backdoor, he'll chase shooters behind a screen, which in the NBA, when they're playing five-out offenses, that's a no-go. You can't do that, because you will get burned in the NBA if you're chasing people uh, off screens. So, look, it's like little things with Cam Whitmore. I like him a lot. He shows shades of Miles Bridges on the basketball court. uh, Not off the court, but on the court, he shows shades of Miles Bridges. I have him at number five. At number four... I have a men Thompson uh the guard from OTE brother of Asar. uh my comp for him is John Morant he's an elect- he's an elite shot creator with you know a very weird like athleticism but he like he's zippy he's quick uh his open floor speed in just terms of just like open floor keep up with me I think he's the fastest in the in the in the class with the ball uh to be honest with you. He he's kinda like a you know, he very good passer, he's accurate, very good defender. One of the things that I've seen from him is that his improvement improving his jumper. Uh I think that, you know, people are like tough on him. People say like teams will treat him like Ben Simmons if you can't develop a jumper. He's already starting to improve his jumper. So it doesn't really like worry me too much about him, uh you know, like, not developing a jumper. Like, you're already seeing with him that he's developing his jumper, and if you watched a lot of OTE, which I did a little bit just for, like, watching on the draft prospects, he's getting better, like, game by game by game by game, and as you saw by the end of the season, his jumper got a lot better. Um So, a man checks in at number five, and number four, or, no, I had more five, and then at four, at three, I have Brandon Miller. Tall scorer with playmaking skills. Who can do everything on the court. Great two-way player. On-ball defender. Off-ball defender. Great shooter. Basically, this guy is Paul George. Brandon Miller, Paul George, the comp. That's all you really need to do. Uh, He does struggle with the lack of burst off the dribble. A little different than Paul George. But his game is identical to Paul George. So, let's get to number two. At number two, Scoot Henderson. I'm... I think that Scoot Henderson shows a lot of Russell Westbrook, Colin Sexton, great athletes who want to bury their opponents with ferocious dunks. Uh, uh, Russell Westbrook and uh, Derrick Rose. I said Colin Sexton for some reason. Uh, he's a high-flying athlete who just literally just wants to take the ball and dunk on your head. Uh, good finisher at the rim. He's very crafty with his finishes, can finish from all sides of the uh, of the hoop. Uh, Great playmaker Willing to get his teammates involved In the high pick and roll sets Um, He's an active defender Who's always got his hands in the passing lanes Uh, One thing that I don't like Is his shot selection, his shot efficiency Uh, He took a lot of uh, Contested twos Something that uh, Especially early in the shot clock Something that Russell Westbrook had a problem with And He's only 6'2", so his problem is going to be in the NBA is that he's going to get targeted by these guys. Like, he gets matched up with, like, Cam Whitmore. I'm just using him as an example because he's in the same class. Cam Whitmore, 6'6", and 235. He's 6'2", 195. He's going to get bodied by Cam Whitmore. Bodied. Um, So there's problems with him just being 6'2", alone. Uh, I like a lot of his... uh lot of potential. My full comp for him is Westbrook. That's my comparison for him. And then one is Victor Weminyama. We all know about him. Generational prospect. You know, the NBA's greatest prospect in decades, obviously is what a lot of people say. Um I think that's actually a very uh it's a very interesting Thing with Victor, I think he's going to be one of the best players we've ever seen. To be honest with you, I mean he's so good. I mean some of the stuff that he does is ridiculous. It it, it really is. So he checks in at number one. Let's get to the uh, the mock draft, okay? So with the mock draft, we're gonna do a mock draft here to close out the show. At number one, it's obvious Victor. It's it's easy. He's got Kevin Durant type offense with Rudy Gobert's defense at the rim. Uh, Not a bad perimeter defender either. The one thing that might hurt him is is that he's skinny and, you know, maybe that, like, causes injuries or something. But that's really it. I mean, he's really just a fantastic player. I mean, he does everything that you need. Handle, shot, everything. Protect the rim, everything you need. So, he goes one. At two, I have Brandon Miller, not because I think Scoot Henderson is worse than him, just for a simple fact that it's a better fit for Charlotte. Um, Having Scoot Henderson and LaMelo would cause problems for Charlotte, just in terms of primary ball handler stuff. Um, I think they would cause problems. And I think that Brad Miller is a better fit for them. So I have the Hornets taking Miller at two. And then at three, I have Portland taking Scoot Henderson. Uh, You know... Obviously if they don't if they trade the pick it's a maybe a different conversation. But I think Scoot Henderson is the consensus number three pick here. Uh four is Ahmed Thompson. I think it's a great fit for a guy like Imei Doka who just to get a natural competitor on the basketball court. And I think Ahmed Thompson would fit that role perfectly. And, you yeah, know, people think that he'll be a small forward. I think he could potentially be the point guard for them next year. And just doing things like creating for Jalen Green, because he's such a good playmaker as a small forward, I think that, you know, he can really just elevate his game with the Houston Rockets. I think that's a great fit for him. At 5, I have Cam Whitmore. They probably won't take him from what I'm hearing, just from like the injury stuff and Cam Whitmore starting to drop a little bit. But if I'm the Pistons here and I'm the GM, I'm taking Cam Whitmore at five. At six, Magic take Anthony Black from Arkansas. Uh, Anthony Black, I like him a lot. He's uh, you know, since the Beal trade, Beal got traded to Phoenix. Uh I think Black would be a great fit for uh yeah, for Washington they need a point guard I think he would be a perfect fit for them so I have the Magic taking uh, Anthony Black at 7 I have the uh, I have the Pacers taking Jarris Walker I actually like Jarris Walker a lot he'll bring some defensive identity to the Pacers and replace that small uh, that power forward need that they have a big need at power forward I think it's a great fit for them At 8, I have the Wizards. I have the Wizards taking Taylor Hendricks. Uh, He's rising up people's boards because he can shoot the three ball. He's a dynamic player. I think it's a good fit for them, to be honest with you. Since I think Kristaps is on his way to Boston, from what I've read, I don't know if the trade's going to fall through. Maybe there's like a new three-team trade because the Clippers pulled out as the time I'm recording this. Um, so I don't know what's going on with the whole Kristaps thing, and if there is something with the Kristaps thing, we'll talk about it on the next podcast. Um, so I have them taking Taylor Hendricks, I think it's a, it's a gauging need that they have at, at the power forward position, I think it fills a need that the Wizards have. So I think at eight, I have the Wizards taking Taylor Hendricks. Um, hmm, at nine for the for the uh, for the Jazz, it's a little tough because I don't know where they go, and I think they're going to take a swing on someone here. And this is maybe a little bit of a hot take, but I think they're going to take a swing on Leonard Miller out of uh, the G League. I think they're really going to take a swing on Leonard Miller. I personally think that uh, you know, even with their two first round picks, I think they're going to really they really want him. Uh he's got a seven two wingspan. He's six nine. Uh, you know, he averaged 18 points, 11 rebounds, and about 2 assists per game. In the G League Ignite team, he averaged, he was a 33% 3-point shooter. I like Leonard Miller a lot. If he can really develop into, I think he could develop into a really good wing. He's 6'9", his height, um, you know, I really like Leonard Miller a lot. He's 213 pounds, he can... He's a high ceiling with this playmaking ability, good ball handler, could shoot, very good things. I like Leonard Miller a lot. I think it's a little bit of a, you know, a crazy pick, but I don't think it's that crazy when you think about it. I like Leonard Miller to go nine. At ten, I have the Magic taking Lively, Matt, uh, or the Mavs taking Lively. The Mavericks they have a big hole at center, and I think it, they fill that problem with Derek Lively. Eleven, Magic take Grady Dick. Uh, Grady can really shoot the thing from the outside um, Grady's got good range from three um, he averaged 14 points per game in uh in college at Kansas great shooter you know as CBS says dick is arguably the best shooter in the in the draft class uh, I I somewhat agree with that to be honest with you uh, I think he's a very good shooter um, you know he's got a He's got a really good role, I think, in in uh in magic in uh, in Orlando. One of the things I think they're gonna do is that they're gonna need to draft. They have two first round picks, pick six and picks eleven. One I think is a high upside player, and then the second one is a like a like a proven player. And I think uh Grady Dick is a proven player. Uh so I think that I like Grady Dick to go to eleven. I think if they draft Anthony Black. I think that you could potentially see Cole Anthony or Mar- Markel Fultz out of Orlando, maybe potentially on the trade block. It's something I've read. At 12, I have the Thunder taking Keontae George, a much-needed scorer. I think it very well fits the need for the shooting guard position, and I think Keontae George would be a great fit for the team. Uh, 13, Raptors take Kaysan Wallace. Whether Fran, uh, I think Fred's out of there, Van Vliet, so I think that you know point guard need they fill that in with case and balls i think it's a perfect fit for them and then at 14 which with the pelicans it's kind of a weird spot for them i have them taking jordan hawkins uh knockdown three point shooter who's on UConn, the national championship team uh i think that he's you know very good shooter he, he can knock down uh spot ups uh he can you know run into his left he can knock down three run to his right to knock down three uh, I think he's got some upside defensively and also with his playmaking as well. He's a very underrated player, as you got to see in the uh in the March Madness tournament with UConn. He can really shoot the ball. Great player. I like Jordan Hawkins to go 14. So that rounds out my mock draft. So we'll go through it one more time for you guys. Uh, Number one, Victor Lemanjana going to the Spurs. Number two, I have Brandon Miller going to the Hornets. Uh three Henderson to the Trailblazers. Four Amen Thompson to the Rockets. Five is Cam Whitmore to the Pistons. Six is Anthony Black to the Magic. Seven is Jarus uh Jaris Walker to the Pacers. Eight is um eight is Taylor Hendricks to the Wizards. Nine Who do I have a nine? Oh, nine is Leonard Miller. Again, I said that earlier. 9 is Leonard Miller for the Jazz. 10 is Derek Lively to Dallas. 11 is Grady Dick to the Magic. 12 is Keontae George to the Thunder. 13 is Kaysan Walls to the Raptors. And 14 is Jordan Hawkins to the Pelicans. So that will do it for today's episode of the Shack Sports Talk podcast. Uh, drop down below what you guys think you're, uh, you're, what's going to happen tonight in, in tonight's NBA draft. Uh, Yankees, obviously they're, they're playing a lot better. Mets still struggling and that'll do a phase up to the Shaq Sports Talk podcast. Make sure you let me know what you guys think, uh, the podcast, you yeah, know, make sure you check out the Twitter and all that good stuff for future announcements. The Shaq Sports Talk podcast is out.